This is the Alpha Universe Podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And on today's show, I'm speaking with landscape and astrophotographer, Rachel Jones Ross. In Tech Talk, we'll go through one of the best settings that changes the game for night shooters. And we get some do this now tips from Rachel Jones Ross for taking your astrophotography up a notch. The night sky inspired Rachel Jones Ross to become a photographer. Living in Canada, Rachel, who is also a member of the Sony Alpha Imaging Collective, takes advantage of long winter nights enjoying the solitude and stillness with her camera and the Milky Way. With a master's degree to her name, Rachel is also an avid teacher who has started going all online with her astrophotography workshops during COVID-19. I caught up with Rachel over Skype from her home in the Canadian Rockies. Rachel, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Rachel, I wanted to start just by asking, how did you get into photography? That is a great question. I have had a camera in my hand probably my whole life, but I never really got into the technical side of photography until I started doing astrophotos. A number of years ago, an acquaintance of mine was posting photos online of the Milky Way, and I'd never shot the Milky Way before, but I was really enchanted at his photos and I messaged him one day and I said you need to show me how to do that and he said well I'm going out tonight if you want to come well it completely changed the trajectory of where I was going with my career and I didn't even know it I borrowed a lens from him it was the middle of winter the Milky Way was not the impressive beautiful core that we get to see in all the pictures it was just this cluster of stars but somehow looking on the back of my camera was as if somebody had pulled back a curtain and allowed me to look into the universe and see things that I couldn't see with my eyes. So that was a really special moment for me. And I just pursued the technical side of it until I, I got really comfortable with it, or I don't think I'll ever perfect it, but I love it. What is it about photography that you love? Uh, I think it's in those moments when you get to watch the light dance across the landscape and it's a quiet, peaceful, serene kind of feeling that, that I get when I'm out there with the camera. I think the camera is just an excuse really to be there and enjoy those moments and to capture it and, and look back at it. I was looking at old photos here over the last few weeks as we haven't been able to travel and I was just really struck by how much meaning some of those photos have for me now that maybe they didn't even have a few months ago. So I think to answer your question, the, the peaceful feeling of being out there and watching those moments unfold that are really so beautiful um, and inspiring, and then being able to revisit those because I have a picture. A lot of people don't get the opportunity to see those things, right? Maybe don't have an opportunity to go and and sit under the night sky because of light pollution or just not being able to get outside the city. Being able to have those opportunities and sharing them with the world is, is a privilege. Yeah. I really love the process of astrophotography. I just kind of enjoy making them, even if I, I have gigabytes full of images that I've probably never really even reviewed because I know they're not that great, but I'm happy I was there to do it. There's something about having a camera with you, especially at night, and kind of slowing down and the very methodical process of taking images of the night sky that I just find very introspective. 
I totally feel you. And I think that even when you do photography full time, I still have many, many, many gigabytes of photos that I don't feel are worthy of, of showing the world. But there are those moments when you just get to be there and experience it. And it's not because I just have a certain standard of things that I that I like to share with people. Um, I like to show them the magic. I, I don't want to just take a snapshot that I might have taken with my phone, um, for example. So... Yeah, really just pursuing that. And another thing about night photography is the technical side of it is so engaging. It, you know, to, so you get to be there and you have that feeling of being in that moment and it's very, um, it's very peaceful and it's, it's inspiring. Like when you look up at the sky and you're watching that just unfold in front of you, it's unforgettable. But then the technical side of it engages that part of me, at least that loves to learn and loves to be challenged and, loves to work through a problem. Like, how can I capture this and show everybody how beautiful this moment is in the best possible way? Yeah, it's a little bit left brain, right brain, right? You, you get to sort of start feeling creative as you go through the steps of making an image. But every once in a while, as, as you say, you end up with a problem. And suddenly yeah. now it's, it's whole brain, <laughs> right? It's not... Yeah. It's something so different to learn, right? Yeah. People always talk about you have to make the camera an extension of your vision. I do think there are times, though, when you kind of want to disconnect from the camera a little bit and it becomes that tool that you can really dive into, not just a, you know, I'm not even thinking about it. No, I'm I'm very much thinking about it. I'm very engaged with this device. I think you have to be at night um, for night photography. My favorite question that people ask me all the time is, I'm going out to shoot the Milky Way. What settings should I use? And it just makes me giggle because, you know, in the daytime, we have reliably lots of light. You know, even on a stormy day, you can probably shoot at F8. So you can choose to shoot between F8 and F11 or wherever the, you know, that sharper aperture range is on your particular lens. And you can use a low ISO like ISO 100 and then adjust your shutter accordingly if you're doing landscapes anyways. But at night, the the light changes from night to night. You can go to the exact same location at the exact same time and you're going to get more or less moonlight. You're going to get, maybe you're going to get light pollution. It just changes. So you can't consistently use the same settings um, to go out and shoot at night. And you're typically shooting at the wider range of your aperture. So you're typically shooting at 2.8 or f4, and that means that you're shooting at a really shallow depth of field. If you're shooting a portrait at f2.8 and the whole background is bokeh, that's amazing for a portrait because you can isolate your subject. But if you're shooting some beautiful little flowers in front of the Milky Way and your flowers are sharp, your Milky Way is going to be all bokeh. That's not what we're going for. So, you know, that's the challenge with night photography that, and that's the beauty of it too, that you really have to engage with it to get that image sharp from corner to corner. You like to photograph what I'll call like an astroscape where you've got the beautiful night sky above a landscape or like you were just describing and in front of uh, a group of flowers or something. So really co that connection between earth and, and sky. What is it about that that draws you in? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I suppose if we're looking at deep space photography, that sort of true astrophotography, you know, not much changes at night. I guess the way that we photograph it could change. But I like capturing a moment. I like being in a place and capturing what it is to be in that place under a night sky. And the night sky changes all the time. So the Milky Way is the Milky Way and it can be in different positions and whatnot, but there's a lot more to night photography and 
and the light at night that makes it special, you know, to be in a place and capture a moment and a, and a feeling of being in that place at night. You also like to, as you were alluding to, have people and portraits. So it's not just even a static landscape sometimes. You work with lighting people and everything. How did you start doing that? Well, I had some friends who had just gotten engaged and they wanted some special engagement photos. So I said I could photograph them under the stars, which turned out to be an epic challenge, but really fun at the same time. And I don't do a ton of that now, but I do like storytelling. And I think an engagement is a beautiful story to tell and to do it in a special way, you know, if it, if it has meaning for them to have their picture taken under the stars, then uh, that's a really special engagement photo as well. I was just going to say that photographing people under the stars is a great activity for somebody who finds just photographing a landscape under the stars a little too easy. <laughs> yeah. Because it is. It, it, I mean, it's super challenging. Yeah. I can't hold still for a photograph, so I try to do like a self-portrait, and it's usually an epic fail. I think it's maybe because I'm tall, or at least this is the story that I'm telling people, um, and, and I just sway, you know? So as soon as I concentrate on trying to hold really still, I can't. It's My body just moves, so... Uh, some people are really good at it. If I do a self-portrait, I need to be sitting or or doing, you know, something where I can kind of stabilize myself. <laughs> it's really difficult to photograph somebody in, in low light for, you know, having a long shutter time. So, Do you have a favorite photo that you've taken under the night sky? I have a couple that are that are really special to me. I got one last year at Moraine Lake. It's a, an iconic location that people have photographed a million times, but I managed to get the moonrise lighting up some clouds with just the smallest smattering of stars. You can't even tell there's stars in there unless you uh, make the image really big. But it was just such a special time of night, that intersection between twilight and moonlight, and it was such a different photo and had beautiful atmosphere. And I just love it. I love revisiting it. And I was actually just revisiting that one a couple of days ago. And I have another one um, with my daughter who is standing next to a waterfall and, the, and I have the Milky Way in behind her. And I love that photo too. I love the, the memory from it. She had just been recovering from an ankle surgery and it was sort of our first adventure together when she was well enough to get out and, and walk a little bit. And it was just a beautiful night and it was a beautiful moment and, and I love the photo. So I guess I have a couple of favorites. You do an awful lot of astrophotography in the winter, and I know part of that's probably because you have a nice long night to work with in the winter. Part of it's because you just really must love being out in the bitter freezing cold um, <laughs> up in, in Canada in the middle of the night. Okay, so I have to admit that I am attracted to winter. I think that winter is really beautiful. I'll preface what I'm going to say next by saying that in the Canadian Rockies, at least in June, um, we don't get true nighttime here. We get astronomical twilight all night. I can see the Milky Way, but it doesn't really get dark in the north. <laughs> I'm very north from you. So, um, yeah, we don't get nighttime in the summer. So that's one factor. The second factor is I just think winter is beautiful. And I never used to enjoy being outdoors until 
not outdoors in minus 32 until I fell in love with photography the way that I did. And then I learned how to dress for it and I learned how to cope with those cold temperatures. Now it seems second nature to me, but I don't even like to leave Canada in the wintertime because it's so beautiful that I just want to stay here. So I have one exception to that rule, and that is I'll go to Iceland, which is also extremely beautiful in the wintertime. I joke about the freezing cold and, and all that, but night during the winter, just there's something about it, that crisp cold, the quiet, um, especially like during a snowfall or something. I know this is all very cliche and I should just stop rambling about it, but it's, <laughs> I do love it. No, I'm the same way. And I, I think that if you can dress appropriately, you know, you find good gloves and you find good boots. I'm still on the search for good boots, but I did find good gloves and you can be warm. There's a unique stillness about it on a winter night that you don't get during the summer. And I think because the landscape changes from, from moment to moment, I can set up a time-lapse and literally watch frost flowers form in front of the camera overnight. If I can break the cold that long, typically I have to be honest, I will just leave the camera set up and I will you know, go and sit in the car where I can be warm and maybe have a little nap. But um, yeah, it, it changes. So you get ice formations. There's so much to work with. You can go to the same location every single night and get a different photograph. You can set up at the same rock pointing to the same mountain and get something different every time. That's because the light changes and, you know, you might get snowfall or it might melt or you might get ice, or you might get frost flowers. So it just looks different all the time. We were talking about what night photography is and being able to see things that other people can't see because, you know, when you're doing it through the camera. Describe that a little bit for me. So it's actually not just being able to see things that other people can't see, but being able to see things with the camera that you can't see. You know, when we go outside, we can actually look up and, and see the Milky Way or we can see Orion or we can see these these clusters of stars but we don't get to see all the gases and the nebulosity and the things that make them kind of magical um, the fact that our cameras are so so advanced now that we can see such detail that's that's a magical moment to me to be able to see beyond what I can see with my eyes and for me personally I have some visual impairment in my left eye especially I'm like I'm almost blind in my left eye so to be able to see things in the camera that I that I can't see with my eyes is just, it's amazing. And I'll even back that up in the daytime. I don't see things as well as, I have a friend who's colorblind and I can see color, but he can see things off in the distance, a sharpness that I can't see. He can spot something so far away and know what it is. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're looking at. So, you know, to be able to to point the camera somewhere and, you know, whether it's in the daytime or the nighttime and be able to see something you can't see with your own eyes is, is an amazing thing. But then to be able to also show that, that beauty to somebody else is, it's a special thing, you know, to be able to share what the world looks like beyond our city walls or our bustling life. And um, I think we've actually had a little taste of that the last few months that, you know, we can slow down and, and appreciate things outside of our usual norms. What gear do you use? I have two Sony A7R3s, and I have a Sony A7 III, and I have a Sony A7S. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. My workhorses are the A7R3s. What is it about that camera that makes it a, a good Astro workhorse for you? 
you know, it's just an all around good camera. The A7S is definitely more sensitive to light, but I'm working with, you know, less megapixels. So that means that doing commercial work, I can't print those images as big. So I typically use the A7R three just because it's got higher resolution and it still handles low light situations really, really well. You know, it's just an amazing camera. The Sony systems having bright monitoring on there is such a game changer for astrophotography. I love when people discover it or they've, you know, they probably had their Sony for a year and they didn't even know that it had this function and, and it's so exciting for them to use it and experience it. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's something you can program to a custom button and it allows you to see in the viewfinder what you're looking at in your foreground, even when you don't have a lot of light. So it helps you to find a composition extremely quickly, like in, in minutes in the dark. It's a really fabulous feature, and that's one of the features of the A7R three that makes it really easy for me to use at night. And I should mention that we'll have a uh, tutorial on setting up bright monitoring in the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. What about uh, lenses? What are your go-to lenses for Astro? I love primes for Astro, but I also love the ease and versatility of a zoom. So I have to say that I use a wide range of lenses. Um, on one of my bodies, I have the 16 to 35 G Master, the f2.8, that doesn't leave the camera. I like to use that one as a time-lapse camera. By not ever changing that lens, I, I always have something ready to go for time-lapse, and I don't have to worry about sensor spots and stuff like that. And just that, that lens is really good for any kind of night photography or low-light photography. On my second body, I really change it up. I will sometimes use the 12 to 24 f4. I know that um, anybody listening who hears me say f4, they're going to be like, wait, what? You use an f4 at night? There's definitely challenges with working with an f4 lens because it doesn't let as much light into the, the camera. But I also live in a very grand place where, where the mountains take up a huge amount of the frame. And I love the, the distortion of the lens for, you know, working with different foregrounds and stuff. So sometimes I use that lens, um, but in a perfect world, I would have a prime 12 millimeter lens or, you know, um, something with a wider aperture. I love the wideness. And in the meantime, I use the 24-1.4 is the sharpest lens I've ever tried. It is really, uh, man, that's an amazing lens. And I recently got to try the 20 millimeter, also a super sharp lens. It's so easy and light. You know, I do a lot of backpacking and stuff like that. Those two lenses are so easy to just throw in the backpack because they really don't add any extra weight. Um, so those would be the, the ones that I use the most. Is there anything other than the bright monitoring, anything special you do to set up your cameras? I always have the focus magnifier set to a custom button. If you use the focus ring on the lens, you can focus in only so far, but if you use the focus magnifier, you can get in 12.4, I think, times magnification. Um, so that helps when focusing on a star. Um, I use bright monitoring, obviously, and I always have um, steady shot on one of my custom buttons as well. Um, if you're working on a tripod, you want to have your, your camera's uh, internal stabilization turned off. So I always have that one kind of at the ready. And, um, and I also use um, the touch screen on the back of the camera to move focal points around. It just makes it easy. Can you take me through a typical um, astro shoot for you from you know, the moment you start planning it to out there in the cold? 
<laughs> okay, so we're talking about a winter astro shoot then? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, my favorite kind. Depends on where I'm going, but I use photo pills for planning a lot. Photo pills helps me to determine where my moonrise and moonset is going to be, what time, you know, when I'm going to have true nighttime, when it's going to be astronomical or nautical twilight. Um, as I mentioned previously, I love that intersection between moonlight and twilight. So I will often plan a shoot where the moon is nice and low on the horizon and will underlight the clouds and I still get to see stars in the photo. So I use photo pills a lot for planning. Gear-wise, I don't know if I do anything super special before I go out to do a night shoot. The cameras handle the cold really well. You know, I've left my A7R 3 out shooting at minus 20-something for six hours. It shot 1,800 frames. The battery lasted, like, through the whole shoot. And I don't have to baby my gear to go out and, and do a night shoot. I have to baby myself. I have to dress in lots of, of really warm layers. So really taking care of yourself in, you know, in the winter months is like the, the primary thing that you have to be concerned about. And then, you know, once I arrive, um, I spend a lot of time looking for a composition. Any, anybody that shoots with me um, knows that that's a, that's a joy. I love doing it. Sometimes I find something that really speaks to me in five minutes, and sometimes I take an hour to find something, but I really, I really hunt for it and I really work for it. I think there's a lot of planning that goes into those night shots and those wide angle lens shots. Just typically, you know, before I leave the house, you know, where I'm going to be going to, and then once I get there, really, really being thoughtful about the composition. And then once you're set up, do you just kind of press the button and hunker down and stay warm? <laughs> No, not really. It depends on uh, what I'm shooting. So let's say that I'm doing a blue hour blend and I want to shoot my foreground during the blue hour. Then I might have to wait for the stars to come out a little bit later. Sometimes if I'm, you know, deep in the mountains and there's nobody around, I might actually go back to my car and leave my camera set up. Um, and sometimes I'll stay and I'll photograph the night sky in, at different times um, to help me blend an image together. Most of my shots are not single image shots where I get everything all in one shot. As you can imagine, working with really shallow depth of field and the kinds of foregrounds that I like to shoot, that's not really possible when you're shooting at 2.8. So um, I spend a lot of time focus stacking and really thinking through each individual part of the scene, whether I'm shooting a person or a flower or a mountain or the stars, I'm looking at each individual part of the scene and trying to capture that to the best of my ability and then blending all of those photos together without moving the camera typically. For people who are listening who have never tried astrophotography, you know, and it sounds kind of complicated, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I find that it's not so much complicated. You just have to kind of go step by step and be methodical and, and plan it out. And um, we were talking about earlier, it, that's kind of a joy in of itself. I think it's a very sort of therapeutic process to go through, to think through all of those different parts of the scene and, and how to best photograph them. It's like putting together a puzzle. You know, lots of people love to sit and put together a puzzle. And that's really all, all that you're doing when you're out there shooting and, you know, you're photographing the the foreground, maybe at a longer exposure than the stars. And, you know, maybe you need more light on something that's distant. So you have to have a longer exposure for that. So, you know, you just have to think through the, those parts of the scene and how to best capture them and then put them all together. And it's like a puzzle. And then when it's done, it's beautiful. You can appreciate it. 
Absolutely. You were mentioning that, you know, right now and been kind of these crazy past few months that you haven't been able to travel and you also haven't been able to conduct any of your in-person workshops. Mm-hmm. But you recently did a totally online workshop. Yeah, I'm actually doing my second totally online workshop and I love it. I never expected to love it this much. I thought that what I loved about uh, leading workshops is, you know, taking people to places, for example, taking people into the Canadian Rockies. That's my backyard and and I love it so much. And so when I see people light up because they are experiencing that as well, I get a lot of joy from that. And I also get a lot of joy from teaching and seeing people grow and, and reach their own goals. So I didn't imagine that that would translate as well as it did to an online class, but the online class has been so great because it kind of strips away everything that's not learning away. You know, we're not driving in a car, we're not traveling places, we're not distracted by what's going on around us. It's really focused on the learning. And um, and I see a lot of growth in the people that are taking the workshop. So, and then the connection too, it's been, <laughs> as you know, like not having a ton of uh, contact with people. So, you know, sitting there face to face with somebody every day for 10 days, I really do feel like I get to know them and I'm enjoying that aspect of it as well. But yeah, it's been, um, a fun challenge to kind of just switch gears and put things online. And, um, so the course is not just like you know, watching a video. I actually sit with people every single day and I have some course materials that are prepared that is like more like a lecture and then I have um, assignments for them so they get to work through either working with my photos or working with their photos and little shooting assignments if they're able to get out and shoot. So yeah, it's a really interactive online course and I've enjoyed it a lot. Do you think that you're going to continue to do them even after we go through these lockdowns? Absolutely. Yeah, I can see myself doing them uh, moving forward. Probably, you know, once the travel starts again, less often. Right now I'm offering them about once a month, but it's something that I enjoy and will definitely continue doing. And if people want to sign up, tell us the website. My uh, website is www.astralisphotography.com. Astralis is a geeky Latin word that means of a star or born from the stars, which is how my photography came to be. That's how you can find me, Astralis Photography. And we'll have a direct link to it in the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com as well. You can see more about Rachel Jones Ross and her Astralis Photography workshops in the show notes at alphauniverse.com. In a few minutes, Rachel will be back with a couple of tips for new astro shooters. Photographers using Sony Alpha mirrorless cameras have a huge advantage over DSLRs when shooting at night. Using a feature called bright monitoring, you can compose and focus accurately even on the darkest of nights. Bright monitoring boosts the illumination in the viewfinder's EVF and on the camera's rear screen. It's a feature that many photographers don't know about, but it's an absolute game changer for astro and other low light photography. You can set bright monitoring to one of your custom buttons. That way it's ready to go and you don't have to hunt it down in the menus. The location can vary with camera models and firmware versions. On my Sony a7R 3 I set it up by going to the custom keys under camera tab 2 and screen 8. Select the button where you want bright monitoring and then scroll through the settings to find it. On my a7R 3 it's screen 18 out of 23. 
With bright monitoring set to C1, it's convenient to access in the dark with the camera on a tripod, as opposed to a custom button on the back of a camera. Press the C1 button and the EVF or monitor will light up making previously invisible stars show clearly. You can then compose and manually focus accurately. You can also find detailed step-by-step -step instructions for setting up bright monitoring along with screenshots of the camera menus in the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. You can submit your questions to the Sony team. Go to the Alpha Universe Facebook page to contact us. If you're new to astrophotography and you're surfing around the internet looking for information, it can seem a little daunting. Rachel Jones Ross joins us again with a couple of Do This Now tips that will help point you in the right direction. We're back with Rachel Jones Ross. And Rachel, for our listeners who are getting into astrophotography, maybe dabbling a little bit, what's a piece of advice you'd give them that they can do right now that would really make a, a big difference for them? I think my first piece of advice would be that a good composition during the day and a good composition at night. So a lot of people will grab the widest lens that they can find, even if their subject is, is super small or super far away because they want to have the most sky possible. But that's not going to create the most compelling composition. The most compelling composition is going to be something that's also compelling if you were looking at it in sunlight or, you know, in something different. So thinking through foreground, midground, background, sky, and how those things all interact together to lead your eye through a photograph. So you don't need the widest lens, you need the best lens for the job. And sometimes that's going to be 24 millimeters and sometimes it's going to be 12 best advice would be to shoot that scene for for what it is and don't worry about getting extra sky. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. It's really been a pleasure. For me as well. Thanks for tuning into the Alpha Universe podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to the Alpha Universe podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and please go ahead and leave us a comment. The Alpha Universe podcast is sponsored by Sony and produced by Christopher Robinson and Michael Atlin. The executive producer is Alex Stevens. Our engineer is Andy Brohart. Special thanks to the Sony digital imaging team who are always around to patiently answer our questions when it comes to the nuances of camera and lens technology.